Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor. And I'm Christian Bassey. Christian, good to have you back on the show, man. Yeah, it's exciting to be back. Yeah. This is awesome. So this is, uh, we're recording uh, in October, so this is uh, 1029, but this is set to be released our last podcast of 2020. And the last one we did an entire year every month. That's right. We actually like set a schedule and we did it. It's pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting against all odds. So I thought it'd be fun this time to, uh, you know, congratulate ourselves because that's always nice to hear people do. And then also to dig into... Uh, well, we have two big topics. We've been working on a lot of Spike Mark and Stagehand stuff. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to go through those things since you are the guy who actually does most of the, that work. Um, and I cheer from the sidelines. And then also, uh, we have another topic at the end where we're going to talk about camera stuff because we both like to geek out on camera stuff and that fills in our other interesting tech thing. Mm-hmm. And we could just talk for hours about that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, don't get it started. <laughs> but we'll put it at the end. And uh, those of you who are not interested in cameras, but only interested in scenic automation, you can listen to the first part and then bag off. And then, uh, but if you like camera stuff too, and like to geek out on that, we got, we got some of that in store. Mm-hmm. So the first topic that I want to talk about is big show mode. Cause we've, yeah. In, that's exciting stuff. It is exciting stuff, right? Like we've done, you've done a tremendous amount of work on Spike Mark. Um, Just a little bit. <laughs> Since when did you get, when did you kind of, because you've been working a lot, like we worked together a fair amount on off the shelf, our inventory mm-hmm. management software. Um, and then at some point, like Gene, well, when, when did you switch off of OTS and back onto Spike Mark staging stuff? So I think I was doing EtherCAP for a while and then switched so we could get OTS published and done. Yeah, yeah. And then... Launched to large mm, fanfare. Yep. Huge mm-hmm. reception, yes. It's a massive success. Yep. Uh, and then it was back on to Spike Mark, I think. Right. And that's what I'm trying right. to line up in the timeline in my yeah. head. Is that like August, July, June? I think it was July. July. Well, when was... I think you're right. I think it was July, now that we're saying this. So in July, you kind of... I, somewhere around July, you, used to, you switched gears right. and got back onto Spike, Spike Mark. Mark. Yeah. So we have um, a discerning customer with particular tastes that is um, funding an awful lot of new feature work in Spike Mark. Um, and it's been great for us, and hopefully it'll be great for them. I think it will. I think so, too. Yeah. And. It, and luckily, everyone else gets to come along for the ride. So they're basically funding a lot of this development work. Um, and then it's all these features are getting rolled into SpikeMark proper, um, which will be ultimately available for general release. Everything we're talking about right now is not released yet. But luckily, nobody's doing any shows. So Right. <laughs> well, you posted, the, I think you posted some screenshots yeah. when, you were, uh, when you talked about it with Cody a little bit. Yep. But no, that's right. Yeah, so you, you could see it. Yeah, that's It'll true. It'll be something like that. <laughs> that's right. Right. So one of the things that Cody and I talked about was big show mode, which mm-hmm. is just the ability to like load up tons of motors and cues and cues. Yeah, right. yeah. And when you first started, so the first problem we were trying to tackle was 
currently spike mark becomes a little slow to load show files when it become when you have fake news when you have a, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of motors or a lot of cues you might notice it takes a moment when you first try to click that open button yeah like a moment to 10 minutes i don't i don't think it's that long <laughs> it depends on how many motors and cues you have <laughs> i i guess that's true <laughs> through experimentation i found where the limit was yeah oh yeah what was the limit uh definitely it didn't like 100 motors with 100 cues okay um computer crashed computer yeah. crashed right yeah. and it would just run out of memory. ran out of memory right yeah. yeah i was trying to find how much memory it was using and too much <laughs> the answer was too much more than you had more than i had yeah um so that was kind of the first big step was to how can we make this better and this was and at this point did you know what was consuming so much of the memory not i not specifically but just kind of assuming like 100 motors and 100 cues with 100 movements in each queue yeah um I mean, we're pretty yeah. much, we knew that was the problem, but not. And likely the Q grid. Yeah. Right? Likely the Q grid. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause, Cause it was the, cause you came up with this pretty awesome control for cues <laughs> when you originally wrote spike mark. Yeah. It's pretty awesome except for its memory management. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't become a problem until you have a lot. Right. 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 Yeah. No, it's true. Yes. It, it works fine at low scale, at, right. at a smaller scale, but. But as we try and scale up, it falls on its face. It it comes apart a little bit. Yeah, and and that is a custom WPF control, right? And that's the impressive thing. It's like you just decided it was nothing stock. It was just all you just wrote it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. which made us have, be able to have the cool custom uh, yeah it, control and the look and the feel and everything. But right, right, right. But it. Found some issues. We found some issues, and I get, and we got a good run out of it. But it was definitely the thing that was falling down at right. that. Yeah. And and I remember us talking about it at the outset as you were heading off, and I was like, "Yeah, there was something. <laughs> I know that there's something where you can do where you can like virtualize the the panel so that mm -hmm. like you're only really loading into memory things that are actually being rendered on display, or that plus a little buffer on right. either side, right? right? So the the scrolling is reasonable i'm like and i did none of that like the whole <laughs> thing is in memory the whole time right and when and that turns out became our issue was we if you had 100 cues and 100 motors you could only see you know 30 motors and three cues four cues but all 100 of those cues were being rendered in the background right rendered in memory in memory yeah and so, like every time you add one more cue your memory allocation would go up a little another chunk and another yeah. chunk and another chunk and eventually you run out. Right. Regardless of if you, if you could see it or not, it, right. it was there. Right. Like it was caring as much about like Q1000 when you were looking at Q number one as it was caring about Q number two. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so kind of as we do, we're like, oh, yeah, that would just be an easy fix. You know, one, <laughs> two weeks. Just make it virtualize. Yeah, Simple. Just, just virtualize it, man. So there's got to be a checkbox somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a checkbox or maybe a drop down. Or you just, yeah. Yeah. Hunt around in Visual Studio until you find it. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that started the process of let's make this virtualized, which just means only render what the user can see. Yeah. Everything else. Well, so I guess 
the differentiating thing being we're still loading the whole show file into, into memory. memory. Yes. We're just not drawing Look. the UI. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so. yeah. So it's like the, the data behind the, that, that rendering is still being held in memory, but the rendering bits, like the actual, the graphical representation is not being held. Right. In memory. The rectangles aren't being drawn. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, we were just like, oh yeah, we'll just write a custom virtualizing panel to go with our custom UI elements. Yeah. It'll take a week. It'll be done. It'll be perfect. Right. I mean, I wrote that, yeah, we, we could write that sentence in just minutes, so right. it can't take that long. Right. To so write scaling the code. up from that a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so that started the journey that became, I don't know, was it a month-ish? Yeah. I think it was a month-ish, yeah. Of trying to write this custom virtualizing controller to handle our custom UI widgets. And um, and where was your first move on that? The first one was like, ah, yes, I can do this better than anybody else. I will write it myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, as you as you start off. Right. Um, Which is where I started and ended initially, <laughs> right? Yeah. But like, yes, I can obviously do this better than anybody else, so I will just write it myself. Yeah. I'll read this one article. On, uh, <laughs> There's a great blog post from 2009. That's also the thing is you look at all these old blog posts. Right, because WPF has not been like the, the hot technology since about 2008. Right, so all the blog posts and stuff are from way back. Yeah. And uh, a lot of time the links don't work anymore, so you have to do some uh, investigative <laughs> work to figure out where it's actually pointing to now. Um, but yeah. once you overcome that hurdle... You can learn about how to write these custom virtualizing panels. Yeah. And I started off with like just a simple, like horizontal uh, scrolling virtualizer. So if it was horizontally, so left, right, yeah. off the screen, it wouldn't render. But then as you moved, it would build in. And it showed some promise, but it, it fell on its face as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because it ends up, the math becomes complicated, mm -hmm. and then the, uh, it doesn't really become complicated, but there's a lot of math behind it to know what to display, and it's very uh, resolution dependent. Yeah, right. And uh, it ended up not working. And there's all sorts of other X factors there, like if you're in high DPI mode and all this other crap. That right, goes along. and then all the yeah. random edge cases you don't think about that are oh my God. gonna come up and could drastically affect what it looks like. Yeah, and just to pause on that for a second, like one of the ones that still drives me crazy in the original Q grid is that like I don't so the Q grid is really like three panels mm -hmm. as it was originally conceived. So you have like the main area, which is where the movements are stored, mm -hmm. but then you have another side panel where the cues are stored, and another top panel where the um, axes are stored and the scrolling <laughs> works everywhere except till you get to the very edges <laughs> right and you get to the edges you get to the like the the most down and the most i mean i think the one that bugs bugs me the most is the most right if you scroll most right most there's like a weird pixel offset that i never got right and so it like the header shifts more than the q grid or i think it's actually vice versa but whatever yeah I think that really only bother, bothers you. I don't notice it that much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it drives me bananas. Uh, yeah. But anyway. But there's but, but the, uh, but so those edge cases. Edge cases. Edge yeah. cases. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which you don't think about until you hit it. And you're just like, oh, yeah. what? You're doing it wrong. You're not supposed to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you did. You attacked it that way first. And then, and then I think, didn't you try some, like, uh, 
commercially available controls from right. like Telerik or something? Uh, yeah, then we were like, so my the the initial naive, oh, I can do this better yeah. approach was like, well, maybe you can't. Yeah, yeah. And so we were looking for what else is out there. And there's Telerik, Telerik. and there's one other yeah, one. Yeah, what's the other one, though? Uh, uh, whatever. The other guys. The other guys. I, we, I never tried them out, so. Okay. But Telerik, and it was like, they had they have some cool controls, yeah. like custom custom controls, um, but they ended up having a virtualizer, which performed better for the edge case edge cases, cases, yeah, but didn't necessarily have drastically better performance than what I was uh, able right, to come right. up with. Right, uh, it handled the it edge was cases, more which polished, was yeah, right. it was polished. I remember that having that conversation with you at one point when you were like, I don't know, it does seem a little better, and I was like, well, they have been. Doing it for a while. They've been working on it for years, long enough that they're going to charge people money for it, right? And you've been working on it for like a couple of weeks. That was, yeah, yeah. You were like, oh, yeah, I guess they've been working on it for longer than a week. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> right. Like if you worked on it for years, I bet you'd handle all the edge cases. Right. Because performance wise, it wasn't really that much more performant. It yeah. was, it just polished yeah. edge cases, handled the edge cases. So, and you, it was a yearly, I think. Yeah, yearly a subscription. A yearly subscription based on number of development seats. Yeah. So, we which is always be, kind of a drag. Like, at yeah. least one right. development seat. Yeah. But then a yearly for our free software. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the, the thing that you're always balancing, right? Is that, or I'm always balancing, is that, like, we don't, I mean, obviously we charge a, a a very good price for all of our hardware, but we charge nothing for spike mark. So right. incurring a, re incurring a recurring cost on spike mark development, it, it, it's hard to justify because you're like, yeah, I can't charge my customers anything for this at all. So, right. And, and they don't notice. They're yeah. not going to notice that. <laughs> no, they're like, oh, the Q grid, it looks like it used to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it looks the same. It behaves the same. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, so, but anyway, so we're, before we decided, you know, to pull the trigger on that, it was like, mm, let me continue to do a little more research, do a little more testing. And yeah. And so originally, like why I decided to write it myself and why we decided to look at the third party was there was no built in way to do it. To have the virtualization done. Right. By Microsoft. By Microsoft. In the right. library. Right. Yeah. By the developers of WPF. Yeah. Right. That's what we thought. Which is always the best way, right? Like, 100% right. like the best way is like rely on something that Microsoft wrote. Right. Because there are teams of people just dedicated to breaking it, let right. alone developing it and yeah. finding those edge cases. Yeah. It's like the happiest moment when you can delete a whole bunch of your code and then just write in like one library one call. or two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the Microsoft one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so we're like, let's see. So took another look at it and... And it turns out there's a tree view, and by because by what did we started with? It wasn't a tree view, obviously. It so just it was just a, a stack panel, stack panel, okay, um, which is kind of just the generic container for things. Yeah. Um, but a tree view. But a tree view, which you would think is very specific to displaying trees, trees right? Yeah. Things with like roots and branches and leaves and nodes, right. like. And, uh, yeah. And a, like a file well, explorer, file explorer. kind of a thing. yeah yeah, uh, so it turns out that virtualizes and you can stick 
anything in there, <laughs> which is perfect, right? Because you're like, well, we will have always, like, I think you said it. Like, it's, a, it's a one node tree. Like, a, there's <laughs> one dimension. Yeah, like it, one dimension. Everything is always at the same level of right. the hierarchy. Right. Yeah. But, but, it, but you virtualization for free. And it's very performant. It right. is super fast. It is what you'd expect from the company that developed the framework, right? Like it is it is that kind of like it, it's yeah. fast. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of looks like like, oh yeah. So you use a, a tree view a lot with like database like rendering. And so it kind of looks like the database team developed a thing for themselves to be uh, able to uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> render their data, their large data sets. Right. So it can handle loads of information. Right. And so like, so before where my computer was crashing, loading the hundred by hundred show. Yeah. Like now it uses like one gig of memory. Yeah. And doesn't crash. Right. And loads pretty instantaneously. Right. Which is awesome which is awesome because yeah that that delay in loading is is a killer like right like did it freeze what's happening yeah because there's yeah because it's just a kind of a weight screen at that yeah point. yeah 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 if you don't know to like give it time it, you, <laughs> right you'll assume it's crashed because it looked like it. it's like no it's it's coming back to life it's working but, yeah 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 so that was that was a huge win yeah and it just it yeah huge win huge win yeah and so that's going to be great. I mean, I think that that, like, although we don't have a ton of people that use SpikeMark in big shows with lots right. of motors, like if you are in that camp and you've been frustrated by like how long it takes to open the show file and how right. much memory it sucks up, right? Because like the our customer that you know that's the one revolver and thirty yeah. Qs, not really going to notice the difference, right? Same thing with even 10 motors. 10 and, motors and 100 Qs. Yeah, it's not going to really notice it. But if, as you, the more you scale up, whether it's just number of Qs or just number of motors or both, right, you're going to notice. Yeah, because even like the performer flying folks, like the, the good folks at Vertigo, mm -hmm. they don't have necessarily a, a ton of motors. They often are like a lot of Qs. But they have loads of Qs, loads and loads of Qs. So this should really mm -hmm. help them out too. Which is yeah. cool. Yeah. And just the fact that it responds after you click open. Yes. Is it's gonna feel great. It's gonna feel great. No, that I think that was a huge win. A huge win. So the uh so that was one thing that we had to work on. And we had, mm -hmm. a, we had lots of other tweaks to spike mark along the way, but I really want to get into some of these uh, more interesting hardware things that you've been knee deep in which it's are pretty exciting, cool yeah. yeah 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 um so a big thing that we knew we wanted to do was we're re we're retrofitting a bunch of um uh, package hoists mm -hmm. um and we're taking off the old control system and putting on a, a spike mark control to them uh for this customer and um the hoists did not originally have load cells um but we are adding load cell capability to the hoist. We're adding the load yeah. cell itself. Yep. Yep. And um, which which is great. But the other thing that you know, shh, but Spike Mark doesn't actually read load cells. <laughs> so like <laughs> we can add the we can add the hardware. But the other big thing we got to do is actually uh, we can add the hardware like the physical sensor. But we both need to add software support mm -hmm. firmware support in the stage hand and then also hardware because the stage hand card yeah because yeah. we've run out we've run out so the um stage hand the the most recent version of the stage hand card 
in a nutshell, uh, uses a Rabbit 2000 <laughs> microprocessor, uh, which is not a popular microprocessor these Leading days. Bleeding edge technology. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hot in, in the year 2000. Um, <laughs> but he uses a, a Rabbit 2000, which is an 8-bit microcontroller um, of the same kind of ilk as what you would find kind of in like a, an Arduino-esque uh, processor. It's got more I, a lot more I.O., but mm-hmm. it's kind of similarly capable otherwise. Um, so it's got a Rabbit 2000 processor uh, in it, uh, and then it has, and that does all of the network communication. It does all the sensor reading, which we'll be getting to in a moment. And then for um, motion control, we used an LM either 628 was the original one, mm-hmm. uh, which, well, I won't get into too much <laughs> into the weeds of what's different, <laughs> but like the LM628 was the original one, and now we're using the LM629, which is actually available, which right. is why we use it. Well, because they end of life day and like actually end of life. Really? Like 28. Yeah. 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 28 is really gone. Yeah. Um, so we knew we wanted load cells, but right. we are on the, on our stagehand card. We are out of pins. Right. There's nothing, there's no room to sense anything else. Right. We have all of the inputs and outputs are sucked up. Like we have, when we did the last big revision of that board, we mapped out all of the existing IO to physically break it out. So to we physically could use it. it. Yeah. And then we came up with uses for it. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so now we're like, well, we just got to add load cells. It's like, cool. There's nothing to plug them into. Right. Like the, the microcontroller cannot, there is not anything left to, to physically sense the electrical signal coming back from that load cell. Right. And so we kicked around a bunch of ideas about like, how might we do it? Some bad ideas, some <laughs> less bad ideas. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. And one of the first bad ideas was the, um, we were th- thinking like, well, you know, it's in, so we should say that the load cell that we are using, mm-hmm. um, are all generate an analog signal. Right. And they generate some very, very small deviation signals, but the, but then there's a, a manufacturer supplied amplifier that you can connect to the transducer and then bumps it up to a readable signal, a readable signal. Um, and one of the, uh, so it's either zero to 10 volt, which is what we were starting with. Um, and we're like, well, we can, the, the VFD has our, the Mitsubishi A has an extra analog input. We can read it right into there and the then drive will read out. it out. And then Modbus, I guess <laughs> is going to be our answer. And, <laughs> And that is 100% rock solid, uh, <laughs> works every time without fail. Yeah. And that, so, but that was literally one of our first ideas it was like, right. well, we can stick it into the A800 and then read it by Modbus because we already have that connection. Nothing else we need to add to the, right. to the rabbit to be able to read anything else. And, but then we were like, well, the problem is, as you were <laughs> alluding to, like our Modbus connection is not the most awesome thing. Like it is, it is, um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that feature I wrote is flawless. <laughs> I don't think you bear the sole blame on that, but the, <laughs> the, it, it works well enough for what we need it to do most of the time. And we would even love to make it better than what it works like right, right now. Right. But I mean, most of the time what it does is it reads parameters and auto tunes. Right. And when you're doing that, there's, you're doing nothing else. It is just that the drive is in a safe condition. You're not on limits. You're not, right. it's, you're just trying to auto tune it. It's just, yeah. 
Exactly. And then the rest of the time, it's just like status report stuff, which you're like, yeah, right, right. it's like if it's not super fast and if it's, if it misses a couple, like who cares? Right. It's yeah. You knew it faulted because it stopped from a couple other things. And right. You're and just now reading what it was. You're just reading what it was. But we're not taking like, we're not doing very precise time critical actions mm-hmm. over that connection. Right. Um, and internally we have to like retry pretty frequently to get a clean <laughs> read response. Yeah. I, you let me use the linked list there and it's a linked list where we get to retry it like a hundred times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we get to the end of that. Right. And it still, <laughs> and it still hasn't worked and still didn't work. We still don't get a, a clean signal. Um, right. Cause it ends up being a process or a uh, function of how much the rabbit is trying to do at once. Yep. And because it's trying to read a serial connection, it just, it, it doesn't handle not just focusing on that well. So it doesn't handle the right cooperative multitasking. Right. Cause the, I mean, there are ways to do it in a preemptive multitasking manner, but our whole structure on the firmware is all using cooperative multitasking. Right. And, um, as you demand more things of the rabbit, like you said, like, the performance goes down. The performance goes down and it does not. Yeah. It, well, and the end result is you don't always get a clean read, write on the mod bus. Right. And so we're like, okay, well, if we're going to, if we're going to do load cells, I mean, so one of the things we want to do with the load cell is we want to be able to determine like, are you lifting too much? Right. And not allow you to move. Right. Right. And that's also some more fancier features too. Like the, if you're above a certain weight, you can only go, x speed right and if you're like say say you're driving a hoist and the uh, the payload gets hung up on something but you also want to know if you go severely yeah. underweight we want to stop as well so mm-hmm. we don't slack the chains and all this other stuff right. or slack the wire rope anything right but all those things you, you kind of need to be able to make decisions pretty quickly quickly <laughs> yeah and it needs to be reliable like <laughs> I got yeah, and more importantly, reliably. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's supposed to do that, but it didn't stop the hoist that time because it just it, it got to the end of a hundred retries and right. it just couldn't get an answer. So. It, you were sitting on the limit too, so Yeah, I mean there's no way it can do both things. Right. You're sitting on the reverse limit trying to go forward. What'd you expect? Were you connected to the network? <laughs> oh well that's I mean that'll <laughs> get you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Can't read a load cell and be connected to the network. What are you talking about? One or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we did do a little bit of effort to try and see, like, could we make that better? Right. And and I, the thing we did prove to ourselves, though, really is the fact that it is the cooperative multitasking, the way we have it set up currently, yeah. our current archi- current architecture, yeah, causes the problem. And right. if we are, if we don't communicate on the network, it, it works flawlessly every time. Right. Because you took, did an experiment where we, you stripped everything else out, basically, functionally. Yeah. And just write and read from the drive and flawless. Works great. Yeah. Yeah. But every little bit that we kind of added back in. Right. That it got worse and worse and worse. Right. So it turns out it wasn't Mitsubishi and a bad impl- implementation <laughs> on their drive. Which is shocking, really. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> their premier drive. It yeah. wasn't that. Yeah. Their premier drive from one of the, yeah, one of the best electrical engineering co- companies in the world. Yeah. It seems like they, they nailed Modbus okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So once we saw that, we're like, okay, well, 
we gave that a, I don't know, a week or something. Yeah. It was pretty that. short. I mean, and we were like, let's try it. Let's see if we can get some headway. It was just a little sprint, but it was, we gave it time. We, we did. Time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're like, that's okay. That's not good. Did we try something else after that? Or did we go straight to the real solution? We went, well, I went straight to the real solution. I don't know if I was supposed to go to the real solution or if there was a middle. I, I, I don't, I don't think there might've been, I don't think there was a middle solution. Well, I think there. So I think in the background in my head there was. Well, I don't know. But these these two things are kind of tied together because the other thing that we were talking about early on was like we can bring out a serial bus on. Oh uh, yeah 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 yeah. We opted not. I opted not to do that, and I jumped right to what we ended up doing, which right. was um, added an I two C bus or the. Uh, inner IC network or inner IC bus. Right. Yeah. I mean, I squared C yeah, is what I, squared I C. Yeah, yeah. I squared C or I2C. I'm, I'm not sure how, which way you pronounce it, but it's yes. I, I, C, but <laughs> right. they shorten it to I squared C, which right. isn't really shortening it because it's still the same number of characters, but, but anyway, so it's this chip to chip level bus yep. that works very well, yep. is relatively fast at least for what we need, it's fast. It takes very few pins. And it takes two pins. Yeah. <laughs> right. So rather than like spy, right? Like rather than right. serial peripheral interface, which takes like your sender, your, it takes two lines for data communication, but then also takes chip select pins for yep. each thing you want to hang on. The, on uh, I squared C, right? The, that you is a software addressing or a, right. a serial addressing. So like right. you, you send the, address as part of the message over the serial bus and the right one responds and the right yeah yeah and for us we were able to move around some stuff and uh to get those two pins that we needed because we were just previously out of yeah we had no pins we had zero pins available so we knew we had to like take grab some of those pins to free up two pins to make the 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 i squared c bus um happen and we would have to add on chips that could receive back those whatever features yeah. we'd removed right and so so actually so we do have that serial we do have a serial port on the which is two pins on uh, open on the rabbit and we're like oh we'll use those we'll use those yeah but as it but turns it out wasn't the right one <laughs> so they they it was on port well, i don't know c d i, was, I think it was c F, yeah one yeah. of those three which was not the right one to use for I2C. Because that wants to be like port I B think, or D? I thought I2C was C. C. Oh, okay. So that we were on port D and we had to free it. Like the, the yeah. one, yeah. Anyway, whatever. We were on the wrong port and we had to move over to a different right. port. But those port lines were already being used for something else. Yeah. The, the, uh, for forward and reverse limit. <laughs> Which is not that big of a deal. Right. Just So I just got rid of those. And... Uh, <laughs> You don't need them. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But no, so we rearranged a little bit, freed up the two pins, and so then that allowed us to add things like I.O. expanders. So we were able to add eight inputs and eight outputs. Sweet. Uh, we were able to add a digital to analog converter. Nice. And we were able to add four analog to digi- digital converters. Which is pretty great. And right. So- Let's take that in reverse order. So the analog digital converter, that's going to be used for the load cell. A load cell. And 
So with load cells and other analog sensors, there's kind of two ways to read things in. You can read in either a zero to 10 volt, zero to five volt signal. Okay. Yep. Or you can read in a four to 20 milliamp. Well, I guess you can't read in the four to 20 milliamp, but it'll output a four to 20 milliamp signal. Yeah. And we originally, uh, we're going to go with, so in line with reading in the load cell, yep. we needed to be able to read in one of those two signals. And, and it's a very straightforward signal that you're talking about, right? Where like zero, so zero, zero volts. is basically zero, yeah. zero volts is like no load, 10 volts is maximum load, right? right? There's some scale that you apply, but I mean, roughly and right. it, five volts is half load, right? right? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of that nice linear mapping. Yep. Kind of a, yeah. And, uh, so originally we we're going to do the zero to 10 cause we're very familiar with that. Cause we use that for speed signal or right. we used to. Yeah. Right now we use zero to five, but right. yeah, whatever. But still, that very that zero is off, ten or five is our max, and yeah. that's really easy to get up and running with, and yeah, and familiar. And our the load cell that we were uh, that we are using on these hoists outputs that. Yep, yep, and so that's what we started with. But then, uh, so we got that running and that was working great which was really cool to see right like so so you've added on this io expander yep. or that is an a, a uh, analog to digital converter mm -hmm. and, and that's hanging off of the i squared c bus that you've freed up on the board and then like we we're able to connect the load cell to it and to like, the stagehand to the stagehand so you're seeing in the stagehand how much load is attached to the machine and then you're able to see that right through on spike mark and view like that hoist is lifting up at this speed and it's lifting this much weight yeah yeah which is pretty great yeah yeah that was exciting and so we started with the so the we started with the zero to ten yeah, yeah. and then uh and it was you i believe it was you yeah we we're like by the way, we have these four CM. <laughs> we have the hooks. Yeah, hooks? the new suspension oh, hooks. hooks. Suspension hooks. The yeah. suspension hooks from CM that have the integrated load cell. We bought a few of them at the end of the year before the world fell apart, and because <laughs> our hope was that we would, we've been using the Broadway system uh, load cells, which are awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually we knew that we wanted to integrate load cell feedback right into, into Spike, Spike Mark, Mark. Yeah. and CM has their new integrated load cell we bought four of them for testing and it was like hey we should and they look sat on the shelf for a while but then we were like but we have these right and so then i spent an afternoon trying to find drill bits to uh attach the uh <laughs> right because there's a little some field modification required to install <laughs> the, the suspension hooks right and it's weird sizes yes uh and so hook that up but the thing with that one, though, is it was a 4 to 20 milliamp so, output. So a current loop instead of voltage. Right. And, but you can't just, like, read that directly into the ADC, right? Right. That's, so the 0 to 10, very easy. It's 0 to 10 volt, very easy. You can just you can read in the voltage. Um, with current, you have to read it indirectly. So that just, uh, what that... Uh, works out to in the real world is essentially you just run that through a resistor and now you can have a voltage drop and you can read the voltage. So you do like a voltage divider circuit with a couple of resistors or how do you? So for the, this one, it's actually, it's just one resistor. Okay. Um, and then, so one resistor to ground and then you can read the, the potential between that and ground between that and ground. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, 
because it ohm's law comes into effect and v equals ir and if you yeah know, and all that fun yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you, you can't know, lose current somewhere <laughs> and it's directly related related to voltage and right. resistance and so right. by knowing the resistance value you can know what the voltage is yeah gotcha based on the current flowing through it yeah, yeah. um and so thankfully our the load cell and transmitter that we we're going to put into this hoist yeah. also supported four to twenty milliamp. Four to twenty milliamp. But at that point, we were also like, "Well, why choose?" Right. So sometimes you're going to want a zero to ten volt. Well, I guess that maybe that's also worth saying is these analog inputs don't necessarily have to be for a load cell. Right. They're we just could, an analog input. It's just They're an just analog different. input. Yeah. It could be for something else in the future. And there's four of them. Right. Yep. Could have four load cells on your thing if you. We're crazy like that. <laughs> sure. But so we didn't necessarily want to lose the flexibility between a zero to 10 volt signal and a current loop four to 20 milliamp signal. Yep. So we just did both and we have a little selector switch. Right. So you can do which both. Which is really cool. Either yeah. or. Yeah. So depending on which kind of sensor you're reading, you can just flip a little switch on the board and you're good to go. Yeah. And then that also, and so that is super exciting. Like I, it, that that opens up the door that we can obviously just see the load, load in, spike mark. in spike mark. We also then can put in a a, a load capacity right on right. the stage hand, right? So where we can we can limit like if you are picking up X number X amount of load and that's beyond mm -hmm. what we've set as the or you have set as the safe working limit. Safe working limit, then it can deny you the ability to go Move further it. up. Right. Yeah. And then similarly, like if you if you slack on the way down, so if we think that you've gotten hung up, we can stop. And then the other really cool thing that you mentioned too is that the like these hoists that we're retrofitting, they are often not fully loaded, not even half loaded. And when mm -hmm. they're not half loaded, we would like to be able to drive these hoists faster. So like if you've got a bunch of battens and they're mostly empty or they're just like got a border on them, yeah, mm -hmm. that you, you want to just be able to get them out of the way sooner, right? Well, we've devised it so that you can set what that threshold is. And and so, again, with the I2C, we uh, also using the IO expanders to the inputs, outputs. Yep. And so we can now have this extra input into the VFD itself where if, we, if the stagehand senses we are at or above this threshold weight, it can trigger an input into the drive, which will then limit the maximum speed of the drive. Right. So when there's no weight on it, you can run at uh, 36 inches a second. But then when you get above 2,000 pounds, you can only run at 12 or right. whatever. Right. Because in this specific instance, like we have these hoists are all rated, to, they have a nameplate rating at 60 hertz. Mm -hmm. But then we've had them re verified that at 120 hertz they can do half the weight. So right. right up to right up to half weight you can run double speed and then once you are, hit, hit yeah. or go above that threshold then you're, we're going to cap you back down to 60. original nameplate. Yeah. yeah, at 60 hertz. So. Which is pretty cool. Like just when we were just demoing it here at my desk, it was really cool just to see. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And that's all happening at the stagehand level. So like you can configure it via spike mark, but then it's all happening in the stagehand. So it's all very high speed, super reactive, super responsive. Right. And then even beyond that, then, then the actual determination of the switch or not happens in the drive. Right. Which is even faster. Right. So it's, it's really cool. It's very <laughs> cool. It's a really cool feature and, and really fun to be able to have that now in the, in the unit. And then the, um, because we now had this bus mm -hmm. on the card, the I squared C bus, um, we had additional IO, which was all handy because we wanted to do separate cross groove detection, separate cross groove. Yeah. And, um, uh, well, and it kind of just opens up, opens it up to tons whatever. of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we've yeah. been, we've been toying with just like in conversation around here is like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, we don't, we have no f software features you even planned at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, but you can see a road where you end up building basically FX capability into the stage hand. Cause right. you now have enough IO that you can do that. So, and make it configurable. So. Yeah. This time you wanted to do this, but then next show, change it. Right, right. And and having that all in one unit, so having it all built into the stagehand. So for each stagehand you get, you essentially get another FX right. bundled in, which is kind of kind of cool. crazy cool. And it's all part of the high-speed loop inside that stagehand. So if you have like drive-specific or motor-specific actions, actions, it happens very, very specifically for the in time with the, with the motor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the cross groove was nice because we've we certainly have cross groove detection like on say the Spotline Mini, but there we just have to pop ultimate right because we don't have enough I/O that you can't distinguish between. Well, that, that's kind of a bad example because we have the whole safety PLC which knows specifically, but from a stage hands no, perspective. No, but I mean like from the end user's perspective, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. yes, the the safety PLC knows what's going on, but the if you're look if you're at the operator station pressing the button, you just see ultimate, ultimate. right? Yeah. And, and yeah. And now with more IO on at the at the stage hand card level, we can discriminate between those things and then send back the right error message. We can yeah. And so Say you can know it really it's is. it's yeah. a cross groove. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes troubleshooting easier. So much easier. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing that allowed us to do is um, fix jogging. Again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'll, just to set the stage a little uh, bit, yeah, and then you okay. can you can yeah. tell the tell everyone how like how we fixed it now. But to roll back in time a little bit, so the original uh, stagehand cards. Um, they have an eight bit speed signal that comes out of them out of the internally. Like, mm -hmm. so in the card, there's eight bits that describe how fast you want to go. And those eight bits are just sent to a digital to analog converter. And then they are made into a very nice, smooth looking voltage signal. And the world was great. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and that worked out really well because we were using the LM628 mm -hmm. motion controller and yep. it had an eight bit, uh, speed signal. And if we went onto manual mode, we would just send eight bits out of the rabbit to describe the speed. And that was good. Right. It was great jogging. Yeah. No problems. And then when we went to the, when the LM628 dried up and we went to the LM629 and that wasn't the only reason. The other thing is the LM629 is a PWM output. So it, it has a, a it, it makes the same 
essentially the same output. I mean, the same ultimate end result where right. it's, it's using a voltage to describe how fast you want to go, mm-hmm. but it's zero to five volts and it's done through PWM instead right. of an actual linear uh, output. But the um, but that created a slight problem because the <laughs> <laughs> because we would either need to then just like put a whole DAC on that board mm-hmm. and suck up eight pins on the rabbit. To be able to do the jogging. To be able to do the jogging. And we're like, oh, well, I was like, oh, I don't really want to do all that because I want to use these other pins for something else. Right. We're pin constrained. We are pin constrained. <laughs> like, so we'll just, we'll just do the same thing. We'll use PWM uh, to run the mm-hmm. jogging signal on the rabbit when you're jogging. And, uh, but funny story, the rabbit doesn't have <laughs> any sort of built-in PWM. Right. And so that's all done in code, like, and not even the the relatively air quotes easy normal C code <laughs> C esque code. It is assembly it's all code. assembly, yeah. And it's what you call bit banging, right? Yeah, Where we're just <laughs> setting up interrupts and timers and trying to turn on and off that output very very fast to simulate the or not to simulate to make a PWM impulse yeah. modulated. Uh, signal and um, that kind of works um, so long as you're not going super slow or super, or super fast. fast, right? If you're in the middle, it's if, okay. Yeah, if you're in the middle, it works pretty good. But as you hit the edges, it's not unlike the scrolling in the Q grid. It's like, always those edge cases, damn <laughs> edges that get me. <laughs> so as you hit the edges, it you will get some anomalies where you'll see some jitter, where it looks like we're basically like the P, if as you get very very slow like the the frequency uh that little slice uh the where you you pop up on the voltage um if those come slightly out of sequence you (laughs) you, uh some exciting behavior you see some exciting behavior it looks much more like full speed than than very low speed and and similarly at high speed as you're approaching to almost being steady on Mm -hmm. you will sometimes get gaps in the pwm where you will drop uh precipitously Um, yeah and so we do a whole bunch of jiggery pokery around that to try and keep you away from the edges keep you away from the edges right so we kind of we lock out the the extreme edges, mm-hmm. uh, but you will still even occasionally see. And it's not so bad on the induction motors because there's an awful lot of uh, inertia there to yeah. uh, work through. But boy, those servos, man, they jump. They react instantaneously <laughs> with all their force. Yeah. Um, and so it's not awesome the jogging. And so this, like, that's only so when you jog your directly driven we are directly driving the uh speed signal off the rabbit and if you are running a queue you're running on the lm629 which is an asic and it runs very fast and does not have any of these issues but when you're mm-hmm. jogging you can see some inconsistent speed behavior right uh, sometimes uh pretty jerky i mean it's it's like you're running 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 and you see like yeah 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 and it, it's uh it's enough to to make your make you a little nervous. A little nervous. <laughs> and so um, way back in the day, so we did that first implementation. I was like, oh, this kind of sucks. <laughs> and then I was like, what if I used Modbus? <laughs> Revisit Modbus old- is perfect. <laughs> and so we did. And so we we're like, yeah, we could do that. We could do it over comms. Like we could just uh, you know, 
send a Modbus command to the drive, tell it to jog at a certain speed. And that works great except for all sorts of like scary, scary edge cases where like if you lose the connection, it's you, just going to go. It's just going to go. It's just going to remember whatever you last told it to do and it's yeah. just going to keep moving. Um, and then and then we can revisit the whole conversation about like how our Modbus implementation is, is perfect. Is perfect. Yes, is flawless. So, um, so the devil we knew was like, well, we will live with some of these uh, we'll put up a bunch of guardrails around the PWM output. Right. But on this specific instance, uh, we know that like the heaviest use of the system is going to be in jogging. jogging. Like that is going to be nine times out of 10. And what they're going to be doing is just jogging motors. Right. And we're like, it's, gotta be better than what we have like that you know so much of the time we're like jogging i mean yes like you want jogging to work and it does work but you're like eh, you know it gets a little rough sometimes but that's not your main use case it's you're not gonna your run main it in a you're, gonna, you're gonna be running shows right like right. You, you get you know you get through the initial setup and you're pretty much just running shows right and then it runs beautifully and like here you're like nah it's gonna be mostly jogging, jogging. and occasionally running cues right I'm like okay well then it has to be better than this yeah so that allowed you to so we added a digital to analog converter, which much like the old, yep, yep. It, but it, this time, but it's so we get to easily send it a, a nice, you know, serial command, serial command for a speed value, and then it does its magic and outputs a nice clean analog signal. Yeah, that beautiful, like that is awesome. Yeah, so so. So smooth. And if you if you weren't like using a older stagehand right next to a, a new stagehand, you wouldn't necessarily notice right. the difference if you hadn't experienced one of the fun uh, jerks Jumps. at yeah. the beginning or end. You wouldn't necessarily notice, but but using this new one in just it's just so smooth. Yeah, it's really good. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. When you demoed it it was like oh that's nice that is so smooth yeah yeah it's a beautiful reaction yeah exactly what you would want especially when it's just going to be jogging is going to be your main use case this was great perfect yeah yeah which also means that like some of those guardrails that we have up right now on the on the unipolars can will will go away right right? right. so So you can theoretically go a little bit slower and a little little bit bit faster faster. yeah while jogging yeah and it's just Mm -hmm super smooth because it is a a clean analog output yep coming from a a dedicated device just for that that was devised to do that purpose yeah totally yep not relying on some assembly code (laughs) on a general purpose processor yeah Yeah. because that's everybody's favorite thing to do is write assembly (laughs) (laughs) yep you really can't get any lower than that, any <laughs> lower level programming on that. Yep. Yep. Some of my best work. Um, and it works great. <laughs> just stay away from the edges. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, And then the last thing I thought it would be fun to mention before uh, we move on to cameras is the addressable e-stops because that's a pretty cool feature. Especially for large installs. You, and I think people are going to really like to uh use this kind of a feature yeah so kind of the whole idea was we're uh, gonna put in a, a fairly large system for this customer and it'll be a lot of permanent install stuff and they're gonna have a lot of emergency stops spread out throughout the whole venue right and 
Separated by elevators and yeah, yeah, like spread out. Yeah, and it's not really realistic to be like when the system's in an e-stop state to be like, all right, just go find the one. <laughs> go find the one because it's our current implementation, right? right? Where it's like, but where do I go? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because currently, we imagine that you might have like I don't know, two, three e-stops right. around right maybe maybe six right and whichever one's got the big red light lit up that's the one that's hit right and they're all relatively on the same level or close by like right. you know where to look for the for the six right but that's not really the case for what we're yeah when you get into like 20 of them and there are 30 of them and they're spread out around a building and right. they're behind multi-level doors and, and yeah, yeah. go climb in that one closet to <laughs> see just like all right i'll be back in an hour Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and so the addressable to e-stops is pretty cool and it works over and neither you or i did the development work on this steve uh who's unfortunately in the pandemic times had to move on mm-hmm. which uh, god bless him because he's he found a job in like actual manufacturing automation stuff which yep. is great mm-hmm. uh, but one of his parting uh contributions was that he did a lot of the prototyping work on this and uh it uses most excitedly can. We finally get to use can. <laughs> there are so many times around here that we, we encounter a problem and we're like, we could use can for that. Right. It's never, and it's never, it never works out. <laughs> but this time it did. Yeah. So our idea being that each uh, remote e-stop will have be a little can node on a network, on a can network yep. that will be reporting back its status, whether it's engaged or not right so it's like a the world's simplest message it's like just on or off yep one bit of information which seems perfect for can yeah right and it has a super long like max length so you can install it in a building yep which is important uh it's very reliable so kind of used a lot (laughs) yep Uh, and so we get to do finally get to use can and so our di uh, the idea being that so you'll have a bunch of can nodes which are your remote e-stops and they will all communicate back to a stagehand base or the stage showstopper base. showstopper base yep. or the showstopper hub yep and those will then those aggregate, are the can masters yep, aggregating the messages and then those will send them off over the network where once it's on the network we can read it in in spike over mark. ip right yeah like, yeah yep yeah, and then each button, like you're saying, each CAN node will have its own address, and so we can decipher the address and then do a mapping inside of Spike Mark and say like, okay, then you know, CAN bus four ID twenty nine is stage right grid or right. whatever. And so in Spike Mark, you'll be able to see. Well, you'll know everything's E step because they'll all have the big red stop sign. Right. But then specifically, you'll be able to look and see that, oh, it was this. It's that button. E-stop. Yeah. So somebody go clear that button for me. Or why did somebody press that button? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty cool feature. And I think, you know, not, again, you know, it'll only be on, uh, probably on shows where you have a lot of stuff or Mm -hmm. if you have a permanent installation of uh, Spike Mark that you'd be interested in such a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in those instances, I think it's going to be huge. Like, it's going to be great. Cause yeah. no, no gone are hunting. the days of just wandering around a venue <laughs> looking for, I'm a, looking red for light. a red light. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. Take the hall pass and go look for the red light. Yep. Yeah. And finally get to use can. <laughs> Most importantly. Most importantly, we get to use can after all these years. <laughs> yeah. It's our first time. Well, no, that's not true. I guess we use Modbus a lot inside the stagehands. I was going to say, it's our first mm. time using a real industrial field bus, but that's not true. But on a wider network, on but, a wide network. But really outside of one box. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a, just a one-to-one, there could be multiple nodes on this network. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think it's our first, it feels like our first legitimate use of <laughs> industrial field bus. Um, but yeah, no, it's just super cool because it just works with the accessory cabling so there's no extra cabling involved right. it's not wireless so yeah that's it's right reliable right uh, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that's right because we had some goofy ideas that come originally i mean goofy is maybe a little harsh but like the like we, we were it was on the table whether it was going to be hardwired or or wireless yeah. the, the can signal e-stop was always going to be wired but yeah the, yeah yeah, 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 but yeah, the yeah. Can to be, yes, absolutely yes <laughs> to be totally clear right 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 none of this impacts the actual reaction of the emergency stop system this is all just about reporting the right. state of the emergency stop system and specifically the identity of an emergency stop button right it's it's still copper wire interrupting. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, triggering yeah. the prevent. And that's not on a network at all. That is just direct wiring. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right, but we had considered uh, wireless. Yep. Zigbee. Zigbee. Um, and IP. We were like, IP. each like, gonna have to give each of your uh, e stops an IP address, <laughs> which for some people different than the ones you give everything else. <laughs> I said I'm all the same. It's still not working. <laughs> yeah. and I, But I think the big downside, though, to the IP was, well, besides the whole giving IP address, was the additional was cable. The wiring. Yeah. 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 It was going to require yeah, another home cable. Yeah, cat5 to each yeah. e-stop. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be great. So it's like a, a lot of really exciting stuff in a fairly unexciting era for the entertainment industry, right? right. Like with very little going on, we've been able to come up with some cool features, some yeah. cool add-ons. Yeah. And what will be nice is that, you know, hopefully, God willing, by the time this is all uh, wrapping up and people are getting back to doing performances, like we're going to have some pretty cool features to roll yeah. out to the world. So that should be fun. Something to look forward to. Yeah. All right, so let's get on to cameras. So anyone, oh <laughs> anyone who has uh, been at, hanging on for cameras, now is your time. And anyone who is like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're going to talk about cameras, uh, now is a good time to, to, to not, <laughs> to get on. And it was good seeing you. Um, so let's start with the – what do you shoot right now? Let's, let's start with I that so a, that people know. So currently I have a uh, – currently uh a nikon d5000 which is as of 8 30 <laughs> p.m yeah yeah which, which is an a apsc right yep it's a slr apsc it's not the most entry level but entry level right that's probably uh, eight ten years old yeah yeah it's not new. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and well, so, and this all kind of really kind of got started again when we started making the videos. Like, yeah. Cause you had a Canon, right. Uh, yep. that was also 10, eight, 10 years old. Yes. 
absolutely the, the same kind of T3 level or something. yeah yeah it's like the, not the most entry level but entry level aspc yeah from, it was close to the most entry level yeah 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 and uh it's like well, recording all these videos and like we'll have to upgrade a little bit cameras are fun and <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and so I had upgraded to the SL3, which I haven't really been using much because then I got to move to the Fuji. But <laughs> which is what you wanted all along. <laughs> which is what I wanted all along, and I finally gave in. But yeah, but that... Uh, and you've been taking photos a lot mm -hmm. all, uh, throughout yeah. the years, mm -hmm. um, but you've been doing even but more But I got recently. back into you it You got again, back into it. It's like, oh the yeah, cameras. that's fun. Oh, cameras. Yeah. And so then I got back into it again and was uh, continuing to enjoy it. Still do. But... Uh, it's like, well, I feel like the I other upgrade. half of the fun yeah. of camera. I mean, like, there's the taking photos, which is absolutely a joy. But mm -hmm. then, like, there's the, the anyone gear, who's a gearhead is the gear is like, aspect. <laughs> I want the gear, <laughs> right? And so, what have you been? I so, so I know, like, one of the things that we've been talking about is like whether you stay crop sensor or whether you go, or full, go full frame. frame. And I don't know. It's it's constantly a back and forth. Like one day right. it's. Oh yeah, definitely full frame because that's what I have to have. Right. But then it's like, well, but I, I, I don't really. I think like, I, I try to because I, I am also in this battle, mm -hmm. and it feels like the, the big advantages to me are the extended ISO range, right? Like that. Yep. The, yeah. The uh, low light. The low light especially. performance is definitely better. The dynamic range is definitely better. Mm -hmm. um, and then potentially the resolution, but like, uh, like in the sense yeah. that like, resolution is maybe the wrong word because obviously you can pack the same number of pixels onto any size right. sensor, right. but like that you are going to get a cleaner image on a uh, less noise yes. on a bigger yeah. sensor. Yeah. Um, but the downsides, of course, are a the expense. That's a big one. Yep, and requires bigger lenses and faster bigger lenses. lenses. Yeah. And, and bigger just, lenses are both more expensive and just bulkier and all that other stuff. Right. And it's like, I don't really do anything specifically that re requiring or needing the the full frame, right? Like the, like if you're doing like portraits all the time or something, like right. you, you want a full frame. Yeah. But I don't know, just wandering around Providence. Right. Because you do uh, mostly like street photography. Street and, photography, some landscape like stuff. Cityscape like cityscape and yeah. Yeah. And, and landscapes. And, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like, yeah, well. I don't particularly need anything fancy, except I think like the the low the low light thing. The really, low light, especially for wandering around at, at night. night. Yeah, yeah, taking pictures like low light performance would be pretty great. Right. To be able to push a little higher on the ISO and not get so much noise and yeah, yeah, and yeah, and then not having to like crop farther out because it's right. If you get too close, it's too noisy at that point, and yeah. Right. So 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 I. <laughs> so if you're, so if you were going to go full frame and, and then, then that becomes the next question, well, do I stay Nikon? Cause right. it's, well, I guess first the question is, do you stay SLR or do you go to mirrorless? Okay. That's an easy answer. Yeah. You're going to go to mirrorless. You're going to go to right? mirrorless yeah. at this point. You should go to mirrorless. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that decision handled, but right. then it's, do you stay cropped sensor or do you go to full frame? Right. And so. And then also, do you stay, for me at least, do you stay Nikon or go to Sony right. or Canon? And, and so currently I'm Nikon, Yeah. but it's Nikon cropped SLR, which will be... So the lenses aren't the same for Nikon mirrorless cropped or Nikon Because what's the mount frame. on the... the mirror, for the mirrorless Nikons, it's the Z. But Z for mount. the 
for the crop oh, it's sensor a SLR. FXF something gotcha. like that. Yeah. And can you adapt or no? There they do have an adapter, but it going from cropped to to full to frame. full frame, it will just crop it back down. So then you've paid for a full <laughs> frame full to, frame to and you're a, still using the cropped <laughs> sensor. <laughs> yeah. And also an adapted lens. Right. So so you don't have a so you're not bringing the investment of the lenses forward. Right. And not that there's really any investment. I don't have a huge investment okay. in lenses at the moment anyway. Okay. Um, mostly just, well, it is one nice-ish and mostly cat. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's, so as I was looking, I was like reading the rumors and what's coming out next. And, oh, Nikon's supposed to be releasing a new entry-level full frame, the Z5. Right. Which they finally did. And it looks really it's good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the only the only particular downside is it's like a slow continuous shooting mode. It's like four-ish frames per second or something, right? Four or five. Right. Yeah. But considering what my use case being, I was like, well, that's kinda not that I'm not doing sports photography and right. like wildlife. I'm not doing a a lot of that because Right. That requires a lot of just standing and waiting. <laughs> right. Right. Like if you're really, if you're mostly composing a shot and taking it, like you're not right. really. It's one, check it, recompose. Right. One, check it. And, you know, like four frames a second isn't fast, but it's not nothing either. Like if you, right. if you have right. a, if you're trying to catch like a little animal, a, you know, a squirrel right. at the garbage can or something. It, right. Like, that'll be fast enough. Yeah. yeah. And the reviews have been very, very good of the Z5. Yeah. And it's at a pretty good price point. Because how much is it? Like thirteen hundred ish? Is that right? Or? I think that sounds about right. Yeah. But then again, all the rumor sites saying like, oh, but it's gonna drop. Wait a little bit, and it's gonna drop to around that thousand price point. Because then it seems like it'd be a really good at deal. that price point. It's like, well, you'd yeah, be you silly not to. <laughs> yeah. Then you're kind of losing money if you don't right. buy it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But then there's also at the same time of the Z5, there's also the whole looming threat of, well, what is Sony about to release? Right. In their uh, the four, well, and you're not considering the Z6, Z7, because like the Z6 well, and Z7 just, are just gonna they're gonna drop in price now that the Z6 Mark II and Z7 Mark right. II, and then maybe pick up a used one because like right. I don't necessarily need a new. No, right. But yeah, well, the six is supposed to be really good for video, like yeah, um, like I, very good. Not that I do a lot of more any of that, but. But I could. <laughs> but the, the, all that's standing in your way is the right camera. Right. Because exactly. the camera I have now can't, for sure. <laughs> but if I could. Right. So th that's got to be, is that somewhat playing into your thoughts or not so much? So you're really deciding between really the Z5, Z5 and, and, and Sony. Sony. And, so, and Sony, of course, is kind of the big king on the hill at yeah. this point in mirrorless. Yeah. Right. I mean, they've, they've been killing it's it for years. Fantastic. Uh, some fantastic cameras and, and well and also they make the camera sensors for everybody else for everybody else except for canon <laughs> except for canon and canon should use their sensors uh. but <laughs> <laughs> although i guess the r5 and r6 seem to be pretty good sensors but the yeah, yeah the yeah. other ones like it's, it's like kind of questionable right <laughs> <laughs> and then they also have been doing a pretty good job about like firmware updates and keeping the cameras updated and adding new features right and they have and they have good third-party lens support from sigma yes. and tamron yeah and also some of the best, if not the best, like eye tracking. Seemingly the best, right? Like, because everyone kind of, uh, every review you watch, it seems Compared like it they Sony. compare it to Sony. They're yeah. Like, this is as good as Sony's. But the new, like, 
Canon ones are getting pretty close. Yeah. And I, what do they call it? Their dual pixel AF? Yes, dual pixel. The Canon? Yes. Like, yeah. That's also in and of itself the comparison. Right. The the dual pixel. Right. Right. But but so then it's always the threat of what is Sony about to release? Because Cause they've had the A7 three for a while for now. For a long time. Yeah. And then just recently reading the rumor, watching a video or yeah. whatever, it's like, oh yeah, Sony's, you know, on the uh on the brink of releasing the next the A seven four. Yeah. Which would be replacing the A seven three. Yeah. And so then maybe at that point it's well wait for that and then get pick up the A seven three on the cheap. Yeah. Yeah. I was just looking at the A seven three used on B and H today and there mm-hmm. are none available. It's a it's like the most popular. It is right. It is a it's a good sign. I mean you can't even find a used one. Right. right. It's like <laughs> people like that camera. People like it. Yeah. And that's got IBIS, the in-body stabilization, right? right? Image stabilization. Was Sony one of the first? I think the they first? were. Yeah, I think they might have been that? the first. But or if not, they were... I, yeah, the micro four-thirds people might come after us because they... Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think... The two of them? <laughs> I think maybe Olympus and Panasonic were doing it first. But anyway, because mm-hmm. like those tiny sensors mm-hmm. and the big body, they have right. a lot of room to put the image stabilization right, in. Right, to put those motors in there. Yeah. Um, but the, Sony has been doing it. So the thing I've been curious about, and I wonder, I was I wanted to get your take on this, is like, because I, I, when I made the little trainee video mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. right, and I ran into those problems where like I hit the limit on my Fuji, only being able to record oh, ten right, minutes, yes, right, and I was doing a twenty minute video, <laughs> right, and you didn't realize that you <laughs> didn't did it, even right? know <laughs> when it cut off. I'm like, God damn it! <laughs> the only I. Th- well, I think that I should say the only, I stop myself on that because Sony has no recording limit. And then I think Panasonic also has no recording limit, but, okay, but Sony definitely has no recording limit. And I, 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 Panasonic does also, I just, mm-hmm. I just count them. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to buy Panasonic. Right. Like I'm just, that's wrong. You're wrong. Like, Don't I'm not, do that. Yeah, like I'm not going to buy just a video camera. Right. Right. Like, which I, I mean, I guess there are certainly well, people who Well, if you were going to buy just a video camera, Blackmagic. Right. Sure. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I know people obviously use the Lumix cameras for for stills. It's just I'm not gonna. I not am gonna not do gonna that. do that. Um, that is not me. But I was like, yeah, the Sony. So the, what's your take on the A6400? I don't like any of Sony's cropped sensor because of the rangefinder. I don't like. Yes. Yeah. I, I I just don't like it. But for but hear me out. For, <sighs> but if you're gonna use it mostly as a video camera, I think. That would be the exception. If you're going to do that, right. I think... Because you're not going to be using the viewfinder that much. Right. And you're going to get the great the Sony processing and the Sony and the, eye tracking and everything yeah. else. And, and the no recording limit. And the no and, recording limit. And, and the very good preamps. And and the good sensor because they're the ones that make it for everybody. Right. Yeah. And it's got no recording limit. And you can get adapters for Canon. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I think that I think you can. Okay, I should look at that because that would be that. Would, now it's like why I feel like a fool for not having done it. Well, I really think you should buy the Blackmagic Pocket <laughs> Camera for all of our videos. <laughs> okay, so because yeah, I'm with you on like the not. I'm also not wild. So I'm not wild about the Sony colors. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because you, well, the Fuji has the really cool, the film. The film simulations, yeah. which I love. I think those are the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. I really love that. Um, you can use those for video, yes? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you have your coloring done at that point. Yes. So it takes very little post-processing work on the Fuji, which is yeah. nice. Um, I mean, on stills, honestly, you're always going to be like bringing up some, right. you know, bringing up some mm-hmm. shadows. Right tweaking down the highlights, et cetera. But, um, but I do like their color rendering and like, their, yeah. it, and in like in capture one or in Lightroom, mm-hmm. you can just with the, with the Fuji cameras, you can just select the Fuji film simulation there oh, okay. yeah. for the, from the raw. So you can be like, tweak down your highlights, select the, and then add the color, add the coloring that you want. And it does, that's just all I do really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause that was the thing, right? So what do you use? Cause I know you don't do a whole lot of post-processing. What do you use? I don't do a whole lot of pro- post-processing. Do you use Lightroom or do you use? Mm, I use Capture One. Okay. Um, Is that I, a Mac only? No, 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 no. But it's the thing that uh, you get for free with Fuji. Oh, okay. Um, the X Trans sensor is so weird uh-huh. um, that Lightroom does some kind of uh, Lightroom doesn't handle the raw files all that well, oh, okay. and Capture One does does. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so that's why I've been using it, okay. um, and uh, and also it's free. So like I don't, uh-huh. I, you know. And since we canceled, canceled our whole creative collab, <laughs> right? That whole thing, <laughs> that whole thing. Um, and capture one, I mean, capture one's, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I kind of, I demoed the Lightroom, uh, the one that nobody says to use the one, like the cloud based. Oh, I hate that. I, that's what everyone says, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I like the cloud aspect of it, of like the, the saving of the files to the cloud. Uh huh. I think it's, I think Lightroom. Is supposed to have like feature parity, like Lightroom Classic. I could be imagining this or thinking something else. Have okay. feature parity on the iPad. Wow. Like the desktop and the iPad are supposed to have feature parity this year. Yeah, not for the classic, but for the new one. For the oh, is it the new one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Which is pretty cool too, because then you can just open up. That, that's the other thing that's kind of cool about the cloud-based the iPad, one. Like yeah. you can open up your iPad and yeah. like your whole catalog's there. And and for the amount of post-processing I do, which is very limited, uh-huh. like it. Um, I was like, oh, it does everything I need. I don't know. I don't do that much. Uh-huh. Like, I'm I don't not know. that good at this. I don't know. I really like Lightroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, and Photoshop. Lightroom and Photoshop. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, right. So, I don't, I don't, uh, I use pretty much Capture, Capture One Express because, like, they have the full-blown version mm-hmm. and then, like, the Express version for, they have an Express version for each, like, camera make. Oh, okay. And with the, because Fuji has such a, crazy sensor and can't really work on Lightroom very well. Apparently. I mean, that's the, uh, yeah, like it does weird things in the shadows. Hmm. Um, anyway, and they come out clean on, on capture one, mm-hmm. but then Fuji just gives everybody, you know, pays capture one to provide licenses for the express version for all Every, the Fuji owners. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I use, but I don't, yeah, like I said, I don't do a ton, but I do do mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. like just, Really? Because of, like, to adjust the dynamic range. Right. Because, right. like, what comes out of the cameras can be really good, but I always think there's just at least a little bit you're going to want it. Yeah. Yep. I've gotten to that point myself. Because I was like, at first, when you were when you'd say those words to me, I was like, I don't know. It seems fine. Uh-huh. And then I was like, oh, actually, it is a little. <laughs> you kind of always do want, at least, I mean, because it seems like, you either you either have got to bring up a little bit of the shadows or you got to pull down the highlights or both. Like, right. Because it's just something is a little too blown out. Like, and, and they, 
all the data is there in the raw. Right, which is fantastic. Yeah. 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 So, so Z5, maybe. Sony. Maybe. And if it were Sony, you would go for the A7 III, you're saying? Unless the A7 IV, the to-be-released A7 IV... Was affordable is, and felt great. Or well, had maybe awesome. not even affordable, but like <laughs> so fantastic <laughs> that you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing with... Well, I guess switching to the Z5 or the A7 III would be also meaning buying new lenses. Right. Which that's where the... Because that's where the investment comes. That's like, where the investment comes. Because on the freaking full frames, like they are... They are not. Yeah. They are not nothing. But if I were to stay crop sensor, the Z50, yeah, Nikon Z50 looks like also a very good camera. Also a very good camera. But irritatingly, uses the same mount. I don't know if irritatingly is the right word, but uses the same Z mount as the full frames. So for your crop sensor camera, you're paying you're the pay, same price. You still have to pay for essentially the same size mm. full frame lens. Mm. Like the same amount of glass. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, then why didn't you just go with the. And do either of those have IBIS? Yeah. They do. Yeah. Z50 and the Z5, did it both do? The, I want to say yes. I would have said yes until you just asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they both. Because that is something that I really do have a passion for is yeah. getting I would love to just because of the low light again the low the light low performance light. Yeah. right like being able to handhold and low light in low light and have a longer shutter right and, really and nice. having better slash more than just the camera or the lens the stabilization lens. Yep. Yeah. yeah yeah and I, I am I have some lenses that have image stabilization, mm -hmm. but I, not all of mine do. I, and my favorite ones don't. So like I am often shooting with unstabilized lenses. The only ones right. that have it for me are zooms. No, oh, mm -hmm. I, I don't have any, none of the primes have, that I right. have, have fucking, the stabilization. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't have any fast lenses with stabilization. Right. And you're going to use the fast lenses when it's dark and when it's dark. Yeah, exactly. You're like, yeah, put it on a tripod. Right. Which is cool unless you're trying to catch something, you know, more spontaneous. Right. right. Like there is right. a, there is a slight inertia to tripod work. I feel. Yeah. I don't like it doesn't I don't lend use it a lot. Yeah. And you like walk it around the city. You're like, oh, hold on. Let me set up my tripod. Right. Yeah. And then when you set up a tripod, every person that walks by <laughs> wants to talk to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is exactly what you wanted. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So, so I that, came out here in the dark with my headphones on <laughs> to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> with my camera. Yeah. I just want to be alone with my gear yeah. in the night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause the X, so I've been looking at the, so I've been thinking about the Sony 6,400 for video, for video, mm -hmm. um, just for the video stuff that we've been doing here mostly. Mm -hmm. um, but I still, so I have the XT 30 from Fuji, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I love, I think it's an awesome little yeah. camera. Um, I, it sold me on the whole mirrorless thing because mm -hmm. um, I had bought the SL, the Canon SL3, which is a very low, low end SLR. Um, mm -hmm. And 
pretty quickly thereafter got the Fuji and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I fucked up. I should not have gotten another SLR. It was like, so we had been talking about, yep. you were, had been, we'd been talking about cameras and you're like, I, this is when we first started, I think right after the chain motor video or for the chain motor video, right whatever after. that was. Oh, I mean, I got it. Yeah. I got the SL3 before the chain motor. Okay. Video, yeah. And you're like going back and forth between, eh, I'll just stay with Canon, go with the SLR. It's been 10 years, eight years. This right. could be a big upgrade or the right. one you really wanted, the, the Fuji. And yeah. you ended up with the Canon. And then like two weeks later, <laughs> you all of a sudden had a new camera. <laughs> yeah. It was a month because I remember telling myself <laughs> that, like I had to wait a month before I bought another camera because I was like, this is crazy. I, I shouldn't be spending this kind of money anyway on it, on these things. But the, um, I was like, I gotta live, I gotta live with the SL three and make sure that I actually am going out and taking photos and like oh, yeah. doing the thing. Yeah. Right. That's not just that much of a passing fad that it's really becoming a hobby. Cause mm -hmm. it's also fun just to have a hobby. Right. And, um, and so I made it through the, the one month mark. I was like, I forget it. I'm going to the XT3. Nailed it. <laughs> I'm the XT3. And I do love the Fuji. Like, I love the way it handles. I love, like, it's got the um, discrete dials for everything, like an yeah. old style camera. Mm -hmm. So it's got, like, a, it's got a um, shutter speed dial. And then the aperture is on the, the ring of the lens. Mm -hmm. and, it, it, and it's got lots of clickiness. And it feels good. It feels good. Yeah. It's a, it's a really nice little camera. Mm -hmm. Um my main problems with it are, um, for photography, I don't really have a, I would love to have Ibis. That would be great yeah. for the mm -hmm. little, like, yep. um, uh, but my main problems are that the, the recording limit kind of stinks, uh, for, for video. <laughs> that kind of sucks. I'm pretty sure when you first bought it, you're like, oh yeah, you're never going to run into that 15 minute. Uh. Um, I am for sure certain. <laughs> I, cause I remember thinking those things, let alone saying them. I was like, what was the matter? Like, I'm, yeah, I was like, you're never going to run into that. That's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And then the, uh, like a couple months oh, wait, later, like, it's actually, not. no, it's not okay. Yeah. No, I, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, especially if you're filming yourself and you don't have anyone there like running the camera. To, right. Like, like, uh, you just talk to nobody just for like <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, and then I also for video, I think the Ibis would, could be cool. Like for yeah. doing those panning shots on a little like motorized, your cool little yeah the, yeah. Little, the little dolly thing yeah like it's it's jittery enough that it needs a little bit of stabilization and that would be perfect that would be perfect yeah so but so fuji's got the xt4 which is kind of, oh flippy screen that was the other thing um, i was gonna say so the the fuji's got just the hinge screen mm -hmm. like uh that just tips forward and back mm -hmm. but i really love on the the one thing the Canon does really well, well, the two things. One is that it does the fully articulate, articulated screen, which is really nice. So you can flip it all the way around and see yourself when you're mm -hmm. filming, mm -hmm. which is great. But I also use it the hell out of it for photography because, like, when, when you're getting trying to get down yeah, low, super low, yeah, right. like, or even up super high, where you're like, yeah, can't look through that anymore. Right. Yeah. I think that's really great. And then also, it's got a great touchscreen interface like the mm. that screen mm -hmm. all the menu system is awesome yeah that's also the new thing that some of the cameras do and don't have is some support touch screens and and in only certain spots and then yeah like or just for focusing but not for right. menu selection or, right yeah. or just the menu selection and not the focusing <laughs> right yeah and so i really like that about the canon the 
Fuji does not do nearly as good of a job with that. Like it, it has just a tilty screen and then the touch screen is, it's so inconsistently implemented that I almost never end up using it because I'm like, I don't know. I can, is, it, it can I touch here, this one? Not, I don't know. I'll just use the joystick. Um, so that, you know, which is not a deal killer for me, but how do you like the Nikon's interface? I mean, from eight years ago, the one I have is, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, because like that's a that's often a ding against Sony is that the interface is pretty rough. Right, but I also think like you're gonna use it and you'll get used to it and it'll be fine. Whatever one you end up with, it's or it'll be like death by a thousand paper cuts. Like every time you use it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I think if you I I think if you use it enough though, you'll be like, all right, yeah. I think that's true if you've never used something better. I- Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the key. Just don't have anything to compare it to, <laughs> right? Because I think if the Nikon interface is better than the Sony interface, I wonder if you'll ever. I mean, I think you will live with it, but will you ever be maybe that's happy the thing with is it? You'll live with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because Sony does get a lot of uh, hate for that. Is yeah, their and menu I, system, and I think well deserved. I mean, I think they're. I think that I, I feel as though that is a hallmark of Sony technology. Like <laughs> it is like brilliant in some aspects uh-huh. and then often painful like, in others, painful in others, like for no reason, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of the brand though. Then, right. So like they have these awesome f- software features and awesome image processing. So what's the bad thing we're going to have? Right. Menus. Yeah. Menus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think the worst part of it is I think that they think they nailed it. They're like, this thing is awesome. <laughs> we did it, did it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, anyway, so and then the other thing, that so the X-T4 from Fuji right. has IBIS, has the flippy screen, is the new, th- the new hotness from Fuji. Looks mm-hmm. pretty good. Fuji, one of the Fuji's weaknesses is autofocus. Like, it does not mm-hmm. have the world's best autofocus. It's nowhere Just near. slow? Uh, miss, does it miss the focus? Haunting. Hmm. Somebody wrote, like, this thing should be sold with a bow and arrow because it likes to go haunting. <laughs> <laughs> it's nowhere near Canon, let alone Sony, and being able to, like, recognize it. Like, on my Canon, you can, I mean, even my low-end Canon, mm-hmm. like, in live view, because it's an SLR, so you have right. to go to live view. In live view, like, you can touch, you can poke an object on the back screen. Yeah. And it, it. it just catches it. Now, wherever yeah. you move, it's like, yeah, I'm just focusing on that thing that you touched. Like, good luck Crazy. with that with the Fuji. Yeah. The Fuji. Like, it is, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> it was kind of over here, kind of that color-ish. Maybe it's over here now, you know. Uh, so, um, so it has slightly improved autofocus, but that's still a Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the XS10 is, was recently announced, which is cheaper than the X-T4, um, misses the kind of discrete dials for everything. Like it goes to mm. a more similar PASM. Less buttons. Less buttons. Yeah, case. yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, but has IBIS, has the flippy screen, has the same tr- sensor, has mm-hmm. the same film simulations. Mm-hmm. I feel like part of the appeal to Fuji is though that. Yeah, that kind of retro. That retro feel. Direct the feel. Yeah. Buttons for everything. Right. Dials for everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, and I'm like, oh, it may be the the hunt for like the perfect one camera to rule them all is silly anyway, right? Like, right, just buy them all. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta have one of everything. But the, <laughs> but I wonder if like so, I, there is no small part of me that's like, you know, Sony is king of the hill because of. I mean, a lot of people love Sony 
Yeah. For good reason. Right. You know? And uh, a lot of people produce their videos on Sony for good reason. Right. Maybe that would make sense for, like, just have a dedicated, mostly dedicated video thing for Get the Sony. Yeah. I don't know. I'm in favor of you buying all the cameras, so. Yeah, well, I can't wait till you get the <laughs> Z6 and Z7. Right. <laughs> but the Mark II versions. <laughs> well, if you buy the Sony full frame, I'll get the crop sensor. <laughs> and then we can compare. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you think you're going to, like, make a decision soonish? I think. Or is it, like, a, like a next, next I, three to six months? I out? think it's a thing where it's. Once Sony releases the Z, or not Z, the seven four. Yeah, yeah, seven four. The seven four. It's once that happens, you'll make a decision. It'll be clear to you if you yeah. want to do that or if you want to stick to Nikon. Right or yes, it'll like be you're switch to Sony. A seven three, A seven four, or Nikon. Yeah, right. And probably the Z five. Yeah, Z five looks like it. I, I was looking at the Z5 again. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe that's, the, I don't know. That seems like a pretty good camera, actually, all the yeah. way around. Like, it does pretty good on video. It does right. great on photo. Like, and then the other thing I always have to remind myself is like, I don't need all these features. Like, I'll be <laughs> yeah. just looking at cameras and be like, oh, yeah, I obviously need that. And then just like slowly, like hours and hours later, like all of a sudden it's like yeah. a $5,000 camera. It's like, wait, wait, wait a second. Yeah. How did we get here? <laughs> right. You're like, I don't think I actually do any of these things. Like, well, for sports photography, obviously, I'm going to need the quick shutter speed. Right. You're like, it's like I don't do I don't that. do that. I'm not going though. to the Olympics to take photos. What? Yeah, I, I feel that sometimes, like, because one of the things that's funny about the the Fuji, like, pretty, I wouldn't say bad, but it's mm-hmm. like a, a bottom of the tier autofocus capability. They're like, yeah, for portraiture. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't really think I make pictures, <laughs> pictures of people though. Actually, <laughs> like, if I'm honest, that doesn't really happen that much. Uh huh. The only time that it really sucks is when you're taking a video of yourself and it doesn't lock on to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then you just like lean forward a little bit or lean back and all of a sudden you're... Yeah, and you'd not- love to know if you're in focus or not, but you can't see yourself because there's no way for you to see the screen. So you just have to hope that you hit that 15-minute uh, limit uh, <laughs> and just like, have to start all over. <laughs> exactly. It like, doesn't matter. I'm probably have to do this in three or four takes anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the remote camera app sucks. How's the? Do you, uh, I don't you know. You don't have that because it is too old to have that. Yeah, my my old Canon's too old, old to have that too. But the Canon remote app is very good on your phone. I think they're probably well from the little I know about it. I think they're the best. Yeah, and the Fuji one is not worth trying. It is, <laughs> it is not good. When I because I didn't have the flippy screen, I was taking some like low uh-huh. shots. I was like, oh, I'll just do the camera. Uh-huh. And like ten minutes later, you're like, yeah, fuck this thing. I'm never using that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was atrocious. Well, and I'm, I'm pretty sure the Nikon one just got the ability to update the firmware. Oh like, boy, it hadn't had that until I think yeah, I think it just came out where yeah. you can update from the app as opposed to having to do the whole you know flash an SD card shove it in there press some buttons yeah, yeah, yeah. some crazy combination yeah. turn on, power it off turn it on turn yep. around three times yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. dunk it in water yep. yeah sure yeah. hope you get the weather sealed so I'm I, I that doesn't give me great hope that it's a fantastic app <laughs> right but right. Yeah, I think like you said like I think Canon's kind of ahead of the pack in there. Which is the other and last thing. Oh, the other option on the table is like you know, not the R5, but the R6 is mm-hmm. recently released, which is the full frame. Mm-hmm. Canon 
R6 looks pretty good too. Well, I, I don't know. I don't ever consider Canon. Maybe that's just because I'm coming from Nikon. Like, no, Canon can't do that. But, right. but I guess they technically, there's nothing wrong with anything Canon. They have some good stuff. They do. I mean, the the yeah. most annoying thing about Canon is they, you know, is the crippling, right? Like that they will. Yeah. And it's like, it could do it. You just decided it couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the new M50 from Canon, the N50 Mark II, mm-hmm. looks like it is the M50 with new firmware. I'm pretty darn sure. <laughs> like they changed nothing and they just stopped added doing more it. features. They added more features in software and they're selling it as a new camera. Yeah. And like for people who bought the M50 Mark one, go pound sand. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is Canon that is, in a nutshell. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, and then also coming from Nikon, like, no, possibly you can't do that. That's right, right, right. obviously that, wrong. Right. Yeah. Sony, of course, that'd be fine. Sony. Sure. We yeah, can make lifelong enemies. We can jump yeah. that ship, but. Right, right. <laughs> well, because does, I, I think Sony makes the Nikon sensors, don't they? They do. Yeah. They do. So, it's yeah, like, yeah. well. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I wish they made never came. Which is kind of the amusing thing is like. I know. They're all competing, yet Sony makes. All the sensors. They're like, I hope you. I hope anyone, any of us win. Right. <laughs> we'll be making money on this sale regardless. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sweet. All right. Well, we've burned about an hour and a half. It's probably time to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.